Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. All right, let's get started. In the book of Leviticus, we're going to be going through the whole book there are some cultural things Leviticus is called in the Hebrew Bible and he called that's the name of it and he called why it's just like Genesis and Exodus where the first words of the book make up the title if you were speaking Hebrew it would be something like something to that effect Moses is the author of this book. We understand and that in all of that it was written, we believe actually probably about 1445, 1446. And I say that because the Exodus occurred pretty close to 1445. And then the tabernacle was built a year later. During this time, the Lord inspired Moses as he was writing so that uh, they had these ordinances, they had these laws, everything set down of how they should worship. So about uh, 1446, 47, something like that, B.C., was about the time Leviticus was written. And Leviticus, of course, picks up at the point that Exodus leaves off. Just as we saw Genesis picks up, uh, uh, when Genesis closes out, Exodus picks up. Same thing here. As Exodus closes out, Leviticus opens up. And in comparison to some of the books around, because as we talked about how there were great miracles in Exodus and God did such miraculous things, the book of Leviticus doesn't have any of that kind of miraculous happenings, and sometimes it might seem difficult to understand why this book is as it is. But I hope that tonight you will have a new appreciation, a new understanding, and and recognize some of the core truths, because the book of Leviticus is quoted something like 15 times in the New Testament. There are no suspense-filled stories like what was going to happen as we saw with Joseph when he was thrown into prison. None of the stories like that about prominent people. We read in Leviticus page after page of meticulous details. We read about the regulations for the offerings, for the installation of priests. We read about the distinctions between what was considered ceremonial clean and unclean, the principles for holy living, and and we can go on. So it might be true that the minutiae sometimes might seem to draw us away, but it really played a key role 
in Israel's spiritual growth. It plays a key role in their development. But what do we gain by reading this book? What do we gain by studying this? Well, as we said, Leviticus picks up as Exodus leaves off and the tabernacle has been built. And now the priests, Aaron's sons, they are assisted by others in the tribe of Levi and they needed to understand how the proper worship for God should be carried out. What was the protocol? Remember, the other Israelites had been immersed in Egyptian mythology and Egyptian ideas of worship. So God wants to set and he wants to train the Israelites that this wasn't like those false gods that they had known in Egypt. He was the true God, and Israel needed to learn God's worship-related laws and regulations. Also, they needed to know what was acceptable between themselves, what was acceptable as far as ritual and sacrifice and the regulations, and how they could live together as a nation. So this book reveals many of those things, and Leviticus reveals God's directives in the rituals, the ceremonial cleanliness, and the behavior by which a holy people could come to a holy God. I think that's a very important and critical point, that these holy, they were a holy people, a holy nation, but they were coming before a holy God. Not like the gods of the Egyptians. Not like the gods of the Egyptians that were just uh, some form of an animal that they had deified. This God is the true God. That they could worship him. But they had to worship him in a true and consecrated manner. And it's essential that God's people understood and practiced holiness. That they would be separate from sin that they were being set apart because God had a purpose and he was going to be glorified through their lives. He was going to be glorified. What did I do? I messed up something there. Let me see if I can. Nope. <coughs> All right. I did something and I'm not sure what I did. Did I hit minimize? What if I hit... <coughs> No, I just touched something over here, and let me see if this will bring it. Oh, I guess I need. Let me try that. That helped. Thank you. Thanks. So, as you read, and as we're going to go through this, think about how God regulated the Israelites' community how he regulated their religious and personal lives because he wanted to establish them as a holy people and he wanted to establish holy living among them. <coughs> the Lord wanted to bless them, but he required them to be obedient and there, there would be a sense of awe. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know why I get trying to go too fast and get a scratch in my throat. So, there are so many numerous regulations regarding the, oh, I think I'm good, thanks. Regarding the tabernacle, there are regulations 
in the priesthood and the specific way the priesthood should live and work. And they were careful to designate what was holy and what was unholy. Why? Because God wanted them to take his presence seriously. God wanted them to take his presence, not like the Egyptians, not like any of the Canaanites or peoples that they may have seen or known or come across. He wanted them to recognize he is the God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth. <coughs> so as we read through this, we want to pay attention to the code of holiness that's found in chapter 17 through 25. That covers everything from serious crimes to religious observances to sexual behavior. It covers everything. And to reinforce the weight of these laws, God delineates at the end of the book in chapter 26 <coughs> the consequences of disobedience and obedience. What would happen if you obeyed? The blessings. What would happen if you disobeyed? Well, did you know that other cultures viewed sacrifices as foods for the gods. They thought of sacrifices that uh, the gods would, would receive this as food. But here, these are gifts of obedience. <coughs> these are gifts that were told to be given because it, it showed the innocent must die for the guilty. And it explained something and laid down certain principles that we understand today, that we who are guilty of sin and trespasses, Christ died for us even when we were enemies. Why? Because the innocent have to die for the guilty. Just as it was laid down with Adam and Eve, it had been laid down for all those, those times, sin had to be atoned for in the proper way. And that's why the offerings were given, and that's why it was delineated, because God wanted these people to be different, and that he would take delight. We get some terms out of this book, such as eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and that remain, it represents a principle that's even around in our world today, that the penalty should fit the crime. The penalty should fit the crime. In other words, shouldn't be too great, shouldn't be too light. It ought to be correct. Not to exceed it, not to be less than it. There are certain themes in this book, and we're going to talk about this, some of the themes in the book. Holiness. Holiness unto the Lord. Be ye holy, because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. That's an overwhelming message of the book, that we ought to be holy. If we read through this book, we should come away with that sense that we want to have personal holiness. We want to have something that, that honors and blesses God because we are being obedient and being set apart for his honor and glory. Well, in Leviticus, spiritual holiness symbolized physical perfection, but, uh, and so, of course, they wanted all of the sacrifices had to be perfect, but it also represented purity as well 
and separation from the world. Isn't that something we see over and over in the New Testament? You're in the world, but you're not of the world. We're in this world, but we're, we're uh, citizens of another kingdom. We're citizens of another world. So much of what is laid down for the first time in the book of Leviticus, we see expanded in the New Testament. And the wall dividing Jewish and Christian worship was later removed by the invitation to faith in Christ. You see, and so it was because of the completed work of Christ. And that's something the New Testament brings out over and over that Christ is the perfect sacrifice. He fulfilled all of these laws, every bit of, uh, every bit of, shall I say, minutia? I kind of didn't want to use that term. But every little part, every little particle, every jot and tittle was fulfilled by Christ Jesus. So the laws of Leviticus no longer be, need to be observed. However, the moral principles are still espoused. The moral principles are still in effect for us today. Sin, sacrifice, atonement. Since no human being can be perfect, God provided the Old Testament sacrificial system that brought about and led them to atonement that they could see that atonement. Of course, all of those sacrifices, everything that was done was pointing to Christ, was leading them to Christ so that they could see they needed someone else. They needed some help. And that's why now in the New Testament, we have the full vision. Well, they only had a little tunnel vision before. Now we can see the whole panoramic view and understand exactly what the Lord wanted his people. And so in that we see the why it was necessary for Jesus to give his life. But once, once and for all, Jesus paid the sins penalty once for all and for all people. That's very different from the book of Leviticus. That's something that they, the people could not understand before that. Worship in Leviticus reveals God's present desire to be with his people, to enjoy the fellowship with him. And, and through worship, God's people acknowledge who he is. God's people recognize what he's done. God's people express their love, their honor, their thanks, and their praise to it. Doesn't all of that sound like New Testament principles? Doesn't that sound like something that we see throughout the entire New Testament Bible? Well, it absolutely is. So we see some of the purpose in writing and all of that, the social living, the practices that would come about. Here's a couple of key verses for you. As we find in Leviticus 1 and 4, he is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. For the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. You know, it was just, oh, 18... 50s, something like that, 1860s, 
that medical science finally began to get the idea that, wait a minute, we can give a transfusion because the life of man is in the blood. And yet Moses wrote this inspired of God, what, some almost 4,000 years ago? So when we are able, when science is able to catch up with the Bible, it's just amazing what can be done. <laughs> well, <clears throat> how about Leviticus 19 and 18? Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Does that sound like a biblical principle? Well, in brief summary, the outline for the offerings that were required for both the priesthood and the people was chapters 1 through 7. Chapters 8 through 10 describe what the priest, how the priest should be consecrated. 11 through 16 are the prescriptions for the various types of what should be clean. And the final 10 chapters are God's guidelines for practical holiness. And the various feasts were instituted. We see that the Jews still practice and remember some of these feasts. We're going to look at those in just a minute, what those feast days are. And holiness was the primary theme. If you don't remember anything else we say tonight, remember that holiness, holy unto the Lord, be ye holy as I am holy. If we don't get anything else from this whole study, remember that that's what God's looking for in our life. And that's what he's instituting. Holiness must be maintained before God. And holiness, now we recognize, is something imputed onto us. The righteousness of Christ. We cannot do it apart from him. How many people have tried for ages to do that on their own? And they fall short. Well, here's some foreshadowing. Much of these practices, much of what was done in the tabernacle is simply done as a picture of Christ. Some of the things, like the menorah, the lampstand, is a picture of the Lord's New Testament church. Because in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 20, it says the church is the lampstand. And so the lampstand today, all we do are we are bearers of the light. The Holy Spirit is represented by the oil that flowed through the tubes of that lampstand. But Christ was the light in that tabernacle. And so we can understand many beautiful things. We can understand the veil that was rent, that now man has complete access, can go directly to the mercy seat, can go directly to the, into the very presence of God. And so in all of those things, these were foreshadowed in this book that now we can completely understand the coverings of the tabernacle and all of the different aspects from the washings and the sacrifices. All of those are explained. And you can go through the book of Hebrews and you can see how often those are laid out and they were fulfilled in Christ and they point to Christ. And so... When Christians exchange their sin for the righteousness of Christ, we see that that's what the book of Leviticus was talking about, that a sacrifice had to be applied for you to have uh, that righteousness. Well, there's a practical application. God takes his holiness seriously. So should we. 
it's sad because to the, the trend today in many kind of postmodern churches is to create a God in our own image. We give him our attributes. And in the book of Leviticus, God was taking the Israelites to teach them how to live in the presence of a holy and awesome God because he was there present in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. God's utter holiness, his transcendent splendor, the unapproachable light. Remember as, as Moses came down from the mount, he was glowing having been in the very presence of God. Well, 1 Timothy 6 and 16 talks about that. Those are concepts that we cannot, they're not foreign concepts. Uh, as I put there, there are foreign concepts to many Christians, but they're not foreign concepts to us. We understand that. We are called to walk in the light, to put away darkness in our lives, to live a holy and a pleasing life in his sight. A holy God, let me come back here. A holy God cannot tolerate just blatant sin. He punishes. He purges it from our lives. We cannot just be flippant in our attitudes towards sin or how God loathes sin because he does not want us to be harmed. And that's what happens. Sin brings about death. So thank God that because of Jesus' death on our behalf, we no longer have to offer animal sacrifices. We no longer have to go to a temple or a tabernacle. We no longer have to have a high priest that will go and carry our petitions to God. We have the high priest that is standing there and we can go directly to him and at the very hand of God. Jesus Christ is our high priest today. Well, Leviticus is all about substitution. The death of the animals was a substitute penalty for those who have sinned. And in the same way, and infinitely better, of course, is that of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It was substitutionary for our sins. Now we can stand before a holy God without fear, because he looks at us, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. Well, very quickly, we're going to look at some of the Jewish feasts. We recognize the Jews still today. Remember the Passover, and we find all of these in this book. The Passover, Pashat, when God passed over and they remember how they were released from Israel, or from Egypt and from the bondage there. And then we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we remember, of course, that Christ at the Passover Supper and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, of course, during the time of Unleavened Bread, they swept out to make sure they had no leaven. That it was gone because that leaven, that yeast, would permeate in all of their food. So they wanted it clean, and they were very meticulous about that. Well, it's a good example for us to examine our lives and see what areas of sin do we hold on to? What little particles is it that we say, oh, I've arrived, I'm done. But then we begin to examine our lives in the light of the Word of God. And we see that, wait a minute, we need to cleanse it again. We need to see the cleansing of the Lord once more 
in our lives. Well, there's the feast of the first fruits and of Pentecost, the feast of trumpets. And it's interesting because the, some of these feasts were fulfilled during Christ's time. And I think we're still looking forward to the feast of trumpets being fulfilled because the scripture says at the last day, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds. So many Christians believe that it will be actually on that day of Tishri, that it will be on that day that the Feast of Trumpets is remembered. But that's putting a date. <laughs> and I don't like to put dates on when the coming of the Lord is, but I think it's coming soon. And of course, we have the uh, Yom Kippur, the day of yearly atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles when they would go out and they would build booths. Sometimes the Feast of Tabernacles is called the Feast of the Booths. Well, we have five main offerings that are found in Leviticus in the first six chapters. We have the whole burnt offering where it is given and the burnt offering was given. Uh, some parts of it were allowed to the Levites and it took care of their families. There was a grain offering as well. There was, that's oftentimes it was uh, given as thanksgiving for God's blessing. There was a fellowship offering. When I had done something against a neighbor, when I had wronged or trespassed somebody, then I would bring a fellowship offering. There's a sin offering, sin offering for oneself. There was the guilt offering that was for your various tribes and some of those. Well, we can go through, and I have given you the outline for the whole book. As I said, let's just look at the main points, because the first seven chapters retain, re, pertain to the laws of sacrifice, the various offerings that we just talked about, how the priest should live, how they should give the offerings the right way. We know what happened when they brought strange fire and put that on the offering. They were killed. If you did not follow God's way exactly, then watch out because God wanted it done perfectly. He wanted it done exactly as he required it. Well, so all of those offerings and how they should be done and what should be accomplished. It's interesting today because the Jews have been studying this, hoping to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem, hoping and looking forward to a day that they could have the red heifer offering, that they could have some of these other offerings. However, the red heifer offering isn't found in this book, but it's talked about a little bit later. So in all of those, they are looking forward to reinstituting those offerings again. Well, then we have the beginnings of the priesthood, that it would be Aaron and his sons and the sacrifices that had to be given for them. And of course, we have in chapter 10 how they brought strange fire. The two of the sons of Aaron brought that strange fire and immediately they're taken up. Immediately they're killed. Well, there are prescriptions for uncleanness. Remember when lepers, and we find in the New Testament many times, the lepers were cleansed by Jesus. And what did he tell them to do? Go show yourself to the high priest. 
Why was that? It was because of the laws of Leviticus. He wanted them to follow the laws. There were uh, cleansing of diseases. There was purification of the tabernacle from uncleanness. There were unclean animals and uh, how a person should live in all of the different aspects of their life for there were times of uncleanness. Well, there were guidelines for practical holiness. And I think that's an important aspect and that's what I want us to recognize. There's sacrifice, there's food, the guidelines for practical holiness dealt with every aspect of life. How to deal with your neighbors, the instructions for priests, the religious festivals, the how to deal with the tabernacle, all of those aspects uh, what would happen during the years of Jubilee or the sabbaticals uh, and how they were encouraged to keep the laws and they would be blessed. Otherwise, there would be cursing. Otherwise, it, it would just God's judgment would come upon them. And of course, Israel forgot and for years did not carry out the seven-year Sabbath or the year of Jubilee. And what happened? God brought about a judgment so that he caused the land to have a rest during all of that time. And he told them, it was because you have not followed my law. You have not followed my precepts. Had you done what I told you to do, you would not have been cursed. And so they were taken off into Babylonian captivity and the land was given its rest, that sabbatical rest that had been promised to them. So if you don't get anything else, remember this, that God is asking for holiness in our lives. And holiness cannot come on our own. It's through the imputed work of Jesus Christ that makes us holy. He is our only hope. He is our only help, our high priest. All right. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church. 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.